Well, today again, we are continuing our series called Through Jesus' Eyes. And we've been saying that often you find yourself in circumstances and you're unable to go forward until someone comes along and helps you to see the problem or the issue from a completely different perspective. Jesus' words had that kind of impact. And so as uh, what we have been doing has been going back to uh, the teachings of Jesus in Luke's gospel, particularly uh, focused in chapter 6, and just trying to see our lives and our place in this world uh, with new eyes through uh, his perspective and to seek uh, his help as we do. Uh, this morning, we're looking at how to be discerning without being condemning. Now, uh, this week, I, I was uh, reading of a, of a situation. It went down in a supermarket parking lot, and uh, it was one of those situations that you knew from the beginning this is not going to go well. Uh, a man uh, went up to a, uh, a mother and uh, gave her a lecture on parenting. He, he scolded her for having left her four-year-old son in the car. Uh, she just popped in really quickly to pick up some milk and a little bit of uh, meat, and uh, she was about 15 feet away from where the car was parked, Probably wasn't a good idea, but the guy jumped in and started saying, I'm going to call the police on you. This is terrible what you've done. And uh, gave her this lecture on what a terrible mother she was. Now, that probably wouldn't go down well in any setting. But what was particularly unusual about this story was that the man who had done it had actually uh, just stolen her car. So he had come along, seen that there was an SUV running with the, with the doors unlocked, uh, and he hopped in, stole the car, got a few minutes down the road, realized, oh my goodness, there's a four-year-old in the back seat, um, drove around, went back to the supermarket. By that point, the mother is looking frantically for her son. She hand, the, the thief hands her, her, uh, the, the mother, the four-year-old child, tells her what a lousy mother she is, hops back in the car, and runs off with her vehicle. Now, I, I'm thinking, like, I, I understand that you've got your opinions on parenting and you want to help someone be a better parent, but if you've just stolen her car, really? Like, how does that, those two things go together? How can someone who is in the midst of a, an illegal crime at the same time be, uh, you know, telling someone about their, their deficiencies as a parent. And what is most troubling to me about that story is that that is how more and more people in our world today see the church and how they see Christians. I, I read one survey recently that said that 87% of 20-something non-Christians believe that the church is judgmental. And some of you are thinking, Young people today, they don't know anything. And you would, of course, be proving their point that uh, you know, the church has an, an issue with being judgmental. And it is not just a, an issue for us in terms of per perception. It is something that affects uh, our marriages. It affects our parenting. It affects our jobs. It affects our relationships on all fronts. And if we are going to make any progress, we are uh, going to have to, to deal with this. So uh, we are going to look at Canada's most favorite Bible verse this morning. 
you know it well, perhaps someone has quoted it to you, a friend or a family member has quoted it to you disapprovingly, as someone has done to me, uh, and that verse, of course, is judge not, lest you be judged. So if you would turn with me, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42, uh, on the Black Church Bibles under the uh, seat, on the little rack and the seat in front of you, it's on page 810. And we want to get some help and perspective from Jesus on how to hopefully be uh, less judgmental and more uh, like Christ in our uh, response to the people of this world. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of God. Now, the first principle that Jesus gives us here is that condemned people condemn others that a a judgmental spirit and judgmental words that flow from a judgmental spirit reflect a heart that hasn't fully grasped the grace of God. Condemned people condemn others. Now, while just about every Canadian, doesn't matter whether you've had any exposure to the church or not, seems to know, judge not or you will be judged, uh, they are less familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians 2.15. I wonder if you know this one. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, the spiritual person judges all things. So you have these these two sides and these two uh, descriptions using the same word. Now, Jesus, when he spoke about judge not, he was dealing with judgmental attitudes, judgmental words uh, uh, shared in a judgmental way. Uh, If you look at the rest of verse 37, you can see he's speaking about condemnation. When we speak into a person's life in a way that that, uh, is condemning, puts shame upon them, uh, writes them off. But while that is always wrong, there's another form of judgment that's actually good. That that, uh, people who want to follow Jesus should practice. And That's the judgment of uh, discerning between right and wrong. Uh, It is uh, good to uh, judge what God has said is true and live in accordance with it. And and having that sense of judgment, that that sense of discernment, the sense that says uh, what what God says about how we should live is is right and true and and I need to evaluate my life in light of that. that, that kind of judgment is good and healthy. The problem is, while there are these two kinds of judgment, you are likely in our world today to be uh, uh, condemned by someone else as being judgmental, uh, whether you are 
correctly identifying sin or whether you are uh, actually being judgmental. Again, one is, one is right, one is wrong. So for our purposes, when we're, when we're trying to get our heads around these two different ways that judgment is used, we're going to talk about discernment, and that, that means drawing a line. Condemnation, that's writing someone's off. One is always good, the other is always bad. Uh, discernment says leaving a, leaving a four-year-old in a, in, a, in a car while it's running unattended, that's probably dangerous. Uh, uh, condemnation says, you left your four-year-old in the car, you're a bad person and a terrible mother. Those are the, two, those are the, the, the distinctions that we're make, making as we are coming to this uh, sense of judgment. Now, let's look at the actual commands. From verses 37 to 38, you have four commands, uh, two negative followed by two positive. Uh, judge not, condemn not, forgive, and then give. Judging and condemning are intended to go together. They inform how we're to understand uh, both of those uh, and, and explain them together. So a follower of Jesus doesn't look down on other people. Uh, we don't uh, speak about them as if they're sinners in a way that we're not sinners. Uh, we, don't, we don't look with or speak with condemnation as if, hey, boy, that person's a sinner, I'm not. Or as if, you know, I get my sin, but I don't get their sin. We have a sense of compassion and understanding. We don't write people off as hopeless because we ourselves have received uh, the forgiveness and grace of God. We know what it's like to be a sinner. We know what it's like to have fallen short of God's standards, and that is to give us a compassion and understanding to other people who have also fallen short and are in need of the grace and forgiveness of God. So uh, we, we start off with these uh, negatives, do not condemn, do not, uh, do not judge. That's the negative side. Then we move to the positive side, forgiving and giving. These are speaking about uh, the positive attitude that we are to have towards other people. We give grace. We give time. We give forgiveness. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We, we think charitably, we think sympathetically of, of other people. We may differ, we may not see things the same, but we have a generous attitude towards other people and uh, we ha are to give as we ourselves have received. Now, according to Jesus, the stakes for both of these things are, are high. Uh, he, he says... People who judge others and condemn them can expect to themselves uh, be on the receiving end of judgment and condemnation, uh, speaking here of the final judgment. Uh, similarly, people who are forgiving and generous can expect to be on the receiving end, often from other people, but also from God himself. We, we can expect to receive and, and enjoy God's uh, gener generosity in our own lives. And, and how that works is Jesus has already explained the gospel to uh, the people he's addressing here. We, we learned at the beginning of chapter 6, he's speaking to his disciples. So these are people who have heard and understood uh, the good news of the gospel. They understand that Jesus came to save sinners. But what he's saying there is, if you have truly believed that, if you have believed in Jesus and the grace that he offers then the, the, the sign that you have actually 
got it, that it has gone past just lip service and head understanding, is that you will show and reflect uh, the grace and the forgiveness that uh, Jesus declared. And so if you have uh, demonstrated that grace in your own life toward other people, then you can have the confidence that you have uh, received that grace yourself and you will be uh, a recipient of that grace when Jesus returns. The problem is some people will say, I'm trusting in Jesus to forgive my sins. And then they'll turn around to other people and say, I could never forgive people, forgive that person for what they did. They'll, they'll say, I, 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 I recognize that I was a sinner and I came to Jesus for salvation. And then they'll turn around and say, I can't believe there are such evil people in this world and, and I, how, how, how are they acting like that? And Jesus says, those two attitudes, those two statements don't go together. There, there's a disconnect. There's something wrong in the heart that accepts God's grace for yourselves and doesn't extend it to other people. People who are condemning reflect a heart that is under condemnation. Someone once said to John Wesley, I never forgive. I just, I just don't, don't do it. And John Wesley rightly said, then I sure hope you never sin. Because if, if we are not willing to extend that grace to others, why would we expect God to extend that grace to us? And, and so uh, we, we are, are, are trying to come to terms with uh, all, all that. So if you're someone who writes people off, who doesn't extend charity, if you are not gracious and uh, offering forgiveness, if you don't see people with a heart of patience and understanding, if, if that is not you, then what Jesus is saying here is that we are to come back to him to say, have I really understood the grace of God for myself? Because that grace ought to change me. It ought to affect how I speak to other people, how I treat other people, uh, and how I relate to the people around me. Followers of Jesus should be the ones who disprove the 87% of 20-something non-Christians who think that the church is judgmental. Our lives should be uh, a, a living argument in, uh, that is, is counter to that. Now, if it's true that 87% of Christians are, in fact, judgmental, and I don't think that the, the statistic is fair. I think it's real. I, 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 don't, I don't doubt it. I don't think it's fair. But if it is, what it, what it means is that 80%, 87% of churchgoers haven't yet grasped the grace of God. And, and that's something for each of us to come to terms with. But it's not just a problem for Christians, Right? It's a problem for SUV-stealing you know, car thieves in, in supermarket parking lots. It's a problem for car thieves as well as it is for uh, super-diligent, responsible moralists. In fact, uh, you may have experienced this yourself. I have experienced that the most diligent, super-responsible, hyper-moral people that I have met are also the least gracious can also be uh, the most condemning. That there, there can be in the heart of someone who is 
super, uh, super committed and uh, super diligent, also a heart that, that struggles to accept those who don't meet their standards. And so Jesus says, that may be how the world acts. That may be how other people act. That might be how car thieves and supermarket parking lots act. That is not how the followers of Jesus are to act. That's, that, that is not how people who have received the generosity of the grace of God are to act. We see people through different eyes. We treat people differently because we ourselves have been treated differently. So we're trying to understand how to be discerning without being condemning. And we started by saying that condemned people condemn others. Judgmental spirit reflects a heart that hasn't fully grasped the grace of God. From there, we move to the fact that you, uh, you can't lead people with your eyes closed. Jesus here is getting more specific and dealing with uh, some uh, at, at, a, at a more practical level, level and saying you can actually do a lot of damage if you try to influence people without first dealing with your own heart. Whether that's your, you're trying to influence your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. If you are launching in, trying to do something to, uh, to help or to change or to adjust or uh, to fix someone without dealing with yourself, you can, you can do some damage. So you can't lead people with your eyes closed. Now, as we look at this passage, we're recognizing, again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's trying to shape, form the character of a movement that will continue on uh, uh, beyond uh, his earthly ministry. And it was critical that, that his followers understood how to lead others, how they can make an influence in this world and with the people uh, in their lives. So in verse 39, he asks this question. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And maybe some of you are reading this and you're thinking of uh, the, the new restaurant in Toronto, Au Noir, and, and you're thinking, you know, where the ser- you're in complete darkness and the servers are all blind and, and you're thinking, actually, they have incredible senses. It's amazing what people uh, can accomplish even when they don't have... Uh, uh, full uh, capacity with, with, their, with their sight. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who are blind to their sin, blind to the condition of their own heart. They never reflect on who they are and who, where they stand in relation to God, his word, and his standard and will for our lives. He, he's He's dealing with with that kind of blindness. And he's saying, if that's who you are, if your eyes are closed to the condition of your heart, you are going to lead people off a cliff. You are going to send people into dangerous places. If your eyes are closed to your own sins and you do a good job of leading others, you are going to transfer your baggage into their lives and they will be carrying it with them for likely a very long time. And some of you have experienced this. Some of you would testify to the fact that, that there, are, there are issues. There, there is condemnation that you have received as a child. There is, uh, it, it may be, there's baggage that you've received from a parent. Uh, maybe there's baggage that you've received from 
uh, a, a religious upbringing that was more like the blind leading the blind. And if you're honest, you've been trying to dig your way out from under that baggage for most of your life. It just, it's come with you. And what Jesus is saying here is that if we are not willing to look at our own hearts and to reflect on our own ways, then in seeking to influence others, whether that's our kids, our spouse, our friends, or other people around us, we are transferring that baggage onto them. We are leading them down a path that ends in a pit. We are not helping. We are actually causing harm and damage. This happens in a number of different ways. Uh, it, it happens when you give your friend advice without thinking about your own heart or, or without thinking about God's word. Uh, it happens with, uh, when you raise kids without seeing your own need to grow up, your own need to, to uh, develop in maturity, not just in, in, in some of the, the practical ways that our, our world would offer, but Grow up as a believer. Grow up as a disciple in Christ. Many, many parents today would worry about, and maybe rightly so, worry about some of the dangers in our world. Some of the, the dangers that our culture th- are, are, uh, uh, poses to, to our kids. But the greater danger that the scripture is warned of is the example that a parent can have in their child's life when they refuse to to deal with the issues, refuse to deal with their own heart, refuse to come before the Lord and and to deal with their heart in light of his word. A scary thing for me really isn't what our world can do to our kids. A scary thing for me is a parent who never repents, never admits their sin, never apologizes, never is willing to to consider the condition of their own heart and the impact that it might make on their children. And none of that is to say that that a parent has to be perfect. It's just you're willing to look at your stuff and seek to grow and deal with it. If we are receiving the grace of God, then we can model and pass on the grace of God. And, And that's... Uh, really, the, the, the challenge and the, uh, the invitation of, of, this, of this passage. Again, what's, what's dangerous isn't just what's out in the world. What's dangerous is, is a Sunday school teacher or a parent telling their child about an all-powerful creator God who loves us and then with their life treating him like he's the third or fourth right priority. We're, we're, that, that is leading a child into a pit. That is creating a pattern and an understanding in their mind that will bear fruit down the road. It'll be, it'll be baggage that they will have to unload. And he's, he's warning us about the influence that we can have in our lives in those ways. So if you're lukewarm about God's word, lukewarm about God's mission, lukewarm about serving and fellowship, and you are influencing your child because we influence our children, then that's something to be, that's something to be worried about. That's something to, to, to stop and to use as, a, as an opportunity to examine the condition of your heart. But if you are uber diligent in fellowship and serving and mission and, and God and his word, 
and you're also mean and mean-spirited and condemning and judgmental, that's, that's going to cause just as much damage as well. And so Jesus is saying, let's open up our eyes to the condition of our heart and the potential damage that we can do to the people that we lead when we're not willing to first examine our own hearts and our own lives. Now, Jesus was a master communicator. And he realized, you know, as soon as he said this, this was heavy. This was hard, a hard teaching that he gave to uh, those who were, who were listening. Hard to, hard to hear. It's hard for me to preach. Hard for me to think of. And so recognizing that this was a hard teaching, Jesus pivots at this point and he tells a joke and tries to lighten the mood while still helping people to reflect on themselves and their hearts and uh, do so in a, in a lighter way. So in verse 41, he asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now you have to put yourself in first century shoes this is before Ted Lasso and The Office and any other uh, things that you watch and kind of define your understanding of comedy. In, in the first century, the way that you told a good joke was through exaggeration. So when Jesus tells this story about, uh, you know, the, this guy has got a big... It, it, when he says log here, it's the word for the main beam in, in a house. Like this was what you used for the load-bearing walls. So he pictures someone with a big beam sticking out of their head and trying to get a little speck, you know, a piece of sawdust or a sliver from someone's eye. Like, people were cracking up. They were, they were really getting into this. They're like, you know, I, I picture Peter and, and John, they're like killing themselves. Like, Jesus, you're, this, is, this is great. You know, the log and the sliver, you're killing me. This is great stuff. But as they're laughing, the message and the question that he's posed for them begins to sink in. They, they begin to reflect on what he's actually asking. They realize Jesus' question is, is funny, but it's also really serious. How do we do that? How do we have a log in our own eye and try to help people with this liver in their eye? How do we steal someone's SUV while trying to give them a lecture on parenting? Like, how do people do that? Why do people do that? And, and we're not just thinking about the guy in the supermarket parking lot. We were thinking about ourselves. Like, how, how do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Because I think we all recognize, I think I do that. What, what, what's going on there? There was actually research done at the University of Toronto on this very subject. Fascinating to me. Uh, they came up with a word called bias blind spots. And what they said was that when we, uh, when we evaluate other people, all we do is we look at the externals. We, we aren't very sympathetic to them because we, we don't know them or we don't know much about them. We don't know what's in the background. We just look at the externals and we make a rather unsympathetic judgment on them. When we do it, when we make an assessment of ourselves, they said what they noticed was people have a completely different scorecard. 
when we evaluate ourselves, we, we often will think not just about their action, their, their behavior. We're thinking about our motivation, our circumstances, you know, some of the things that are going on in the background. We're, we're, we're really attuned to those things, and we're very sympathetic to how we ourselves are acting, and we, we it's just a different score, scorecard. Uh, so, uh, for instance, to pick up our, you know, our driving discussion from a couple weeks ago that some of you have still been uh, talking with me about and, and, uh, and, and working through, like when we are driving terribly in traffic, it, it's always for the good reason, right? We, we drive crazy in traffic because we're, we're late for an incredibly important meeting, and, it, and it's really quite understandable. We're usually much better drivers, but this was an exceptional circumstance, and people should understand. But when other people drive crazy in traffic, we, we, we have none of the same sympathy to, maybe there's some, maybe there's some, uh, some, special circumstances going on. Maybe they're just in a particular rush today. They're probably otherwise an amazing driver. We, we don't make any of those calculations. We see that we've been cut off, and our only conclusion is they're a terrible driver and probably a terrible person. So we, we use a different scorecard. And now, because of this research done at the University of Toronto, we have a, from the scientists, we have a fancy name for it, biased blind spot. And maybe that feels, makes some people feel comfortable that, oh, we've got a name for it. Oh, it's a biased blind spot. It's okay. Jesus says, I don't care what the scientists call it. It's still sin. It's still not okay for followers of Jesus Christ. It's still not okay for those who have received the incredible grace of God, we are to look at people through different eyes. We are to see them through a different lens, and that lens is to be shaped by the way that we have been treated by our Father, by what we have received from our Savior. So we've, we're called to be discerning, not condemning. We've said condemned people condemn others. We need to we, we need to come to terms with the grace of God. We've said that you can't lead people with your eyes closed. Finally, Jesus' message is, is that you can't help people if you are not willing to get help. That healthy influence starts by looking in the mirror and being willing to receive the grace that God freely gives to his people. You can't help people if you're not willing to get help. Now, in, the verse, in verse 42, the disciples are still picking themselves up at the floor from Jesus' incredible joke about the ophthalmologist with a big beam in his, in his eye, and he's trying to pick out the sliver from the other person's eye. They're, they're, they're still recovering from that joke, and they hear Jesus' words. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Notice that bottom line where the goal of the verse goes is that it is okay and it is in fact encouraged that we will be at some point able to be a help in getting that sliver out of our brother's eye. We, we need people, frankly, that are able to help us when we are stuck and caught in a sin, when something is overwhelming us. We need people to be able to do that ministry. But it has to start with you. 
has to start with me. We need to deal with our own heart first. We need to deal with the log before we are ever going to make progress with this liver. So the first step toward influence is a look in the mirror. Paul puts it like this in Romans 2.21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And, And again, it is that sense that ministry cannot ever just be done out there. It has to start in here. And I want you to do a little experiment with me. I want you to think of two people. Maybe more people will come to mind and you can write them down later, but I just want you to think of two people right now. The first person is the one who frustrates you the most. If you're completely honest, they're the one who you would be most tempted to be condemning and judgmental towards. So have that person in your mind. Now think of the person, second person, the person that you most want to influence, uh, the person that you most hope to help change. Maybe it's, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a spouse, maybe uh, it's, it's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, someone that you most want to change. For some of you, maybe those two people are actually the, the same person. But for our purposes, we're trying to think of these two people in our mind. Now, if you look at those two people, as you think about your relationship with them, as you think of of some of the things and hopes and dreams that you have for how those relationships would be different, what I think Jesus would have us to recognize is that it is at least 10 times easier for us to change ourselves as it is for us to change them. And so we start with ourselves. We look at those two relationships and we ask ourselves the question, what are the logs in my eye that that are surfacing in this relationship? What are the things that I could deal with? How could I start with me and bring about change in my heart as it relates to how I relate to this person? And as you're asking yourself the question, it's not just a random question. Oh, we, we can, Jesus gives us some pointers. He's also, uh, he's already pointed us to, uh, to a, a number of things. He's talked about not judging, uh, not condemning. He, he's talked about being forgiving and generous giving. Uh, and, and so we're, we're thinking about some of those things as it relates to uh, this relationship. And... And maybe there are other things that come to mind. Maybe there are other logs that are, in retrospect, yeah, those are, those are probably issues in this relationship. Those are probably things that uh, I, I need to deal with. The point is, there's not going to be change unless you start with you. Unless you deal with yourself and the logs in the relationship that would otherwise cause you with, from, uh, from growing. And once you've, once you've done that, once you've looked in the mirror, there's two other things that I, I, I want to encourage you to do. And, uh, and, and, and just looking in the mirror takes a measure of courage. But, but people out in the world do this. this these two things are, uh, are, are, are special means of grace that God has given us in his word. The, the first one uh, is... Uh, you need God's mercy and you need God's family. And we're going to look at, look at both of them. So let's start with God's mercy. 
change happens in, as we respond to the mercy of God for ourselves and for our own heart. Where do you get that? Uh, I, I get that from verse 36. In fact, the entire passage that I read for you is really an expend, extended application of verse 36 where it says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. We are to first recognize glory in and receive the mercy of God and it is in receiving his mercy for our own heart, having seen ourselves full and, uh, and unadorned in front of the mirror that we can then share that mercy with other people. And so change starts with, with his grace, with his mercy. Change starts when we are willing to see our sin and to confess it before him, when we turn from it and receive his grace, receive his mercy, and, and unlodge that, uh, that, that log that is in our eye. But I said there are two things. The, the, the grace of God is important, but the family of God is also important. Because if we're honest, there are some logs that are lodged so deep and have been there so long, we can't get them out on our own. In fact, it's hard for us even to bring those logs to God in prayer and get his help because it just feels too big, too hopeless, we need someone else to help us carry the log. And God has placed us in family, in the family of God, so that we can seek the help and the support of other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He's not saying, confess all your sins to everybody, but there there are some big ones and some heavy ones that we need to. We need to confess them to somebody. We need somebody's help to carry them because they're too heavy for us to carry alone. He's saying, that's why I've provided the family of God for you. That's, that's what you have help for so that you don't have to do this alone. And look at the hope in these verses. When you do this, according to James 5.16, there's a there's real soul healing. Because this is not just you talking to your neighbor, because this is God at work in his family, there is the, the potential for real uh, wholeness and healing. In, in Jesus' words, the, the, the hope that he holds out is the log really can come out. This is possible because... God is at work in the midst of his people and he can uh, do what we would otherwise be incapable of. And when I see this happening, when I see people uh, getting real before God and receiving of his grace, it excites me like almost nothing else. I see many of you living the life that Jesus describes here. You've experienced the grace of God and so you're not afraid to look in the mirror anymore. You're not afraid. You don't feel a, a desire or a need to, to hide who you are. You can, you can receive God's grace and therefore you are able to express God's grace. You don't fixate on other people's sins because you're, you're focused on your own, frankly. 
you understand enough of, of the, how you were a sinner that you're not focused on how other people are sinners. I, I see many of you having experienced the mercy of God, showing mercy to others, expressing mercy in your lives. And when I, when I see that take place, it just fills me with hope, fills me with a, a sense that God is at work in our midst. And if that's not you, maybe you've got some baggage that you need to unload at the cross. Maybe you condemn others because, if you're completely honest, you've been carrying around a lot of condemnation. I don't know, maybe you picked it up somewhere. Maybe you could identify, yeah, there is this relationship, there is this individual, and I just kind of, I just bought it. I just kind of took it on. And Jesus says, like, that, that, that can be unloaded at the cross. That can be released in his presence. At the cross, see a Savior who died for sinners. See a Savior who upheld the perfect righteousness of God, and yet in grace and mercy and compassion was willing to die for those who were set in opposition to, the, to him. See that through faith in him, he has made it possible for li- us to live a life free of judgment. Romans 8.1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Imagine the mercy of God to see us as we truly are and to treat us with no condemnation, full of mercy, full of forgiveness. Unload the baggage. Unload the condemnation that, that you carry with you that causes you to condemn others. Unload that sense of superiority, that sense of pride that would keep us from loving others and treating them as God would have us. See a God who calls us to live in perfect righteousness, but who is patient, forgiving, gives grace. By faith, we receive that grace, and by faith, we express that faith to others. We give them that grace because we've received it. And when we do, remember the promise that Jesus gives in verse 38, expressing the fullness, just how big and how wide, how deep the the grace of God that he offers to us. In verse 38, Jesus says, Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, you're the God who forgives all our sins. You're patient, merciful, and you don't keep a record of wrongs. Change us by your grace. Make us into people of grace. We don't want to lead people over a cliff. And we don't want to lead our children into a pit. So help us to see the log in our eye. Give us the strength to get it out. Give us the courage to ask others for help. And the compassion to be willing to help others. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.